What's going on, guys? So in this episode of the podcast, I want to talk a little bit about um, just some kind of current events going on. So number one, the whole Deshaun Watson, you know, sort of situation there and kind of just give you my thoughts on that if and only if the Texans decide to trade him, kind of some scenarios that I think make sense and just the outlook on both sides of the equation as far as that goes and a potential trade goes there. Um, and then I want to talk about the legacy of the great Drew Brees. And just basically, I mean, I think we all know he's pretty much retiring now. So I want to talk just a little bit about his legacy and kind of like what, um, what, uh, where I kind of stack him up in terms of the all-time greats and et cetera, things like that. And then I also want to give you just, I know you guys, if you've been following me for a while, especially on social media, you, you can see that I'm a, I'm a Tom Brady goat truther, right? And I want to give you just my overall reasoning for that and why it's just my opinion. You know, it doesn't mean that it's right doesn't mean that it's factual. It's just my opinion. So let's start off with Deshaun Watson. And um, yeah, so like, you know, apparently it looks to me as though this might actually happen. Weirdly enough, like I don't, I, if I had to bet on it right now, I'd still say it's not going to happen. Okay. But we're going to talk about this in scenarios that you know, we're just going to pretend that it's happening just for this scenario and just kind of see where that goes from here. And uh, number one, I haven't really seen a bunch of talk about this, but like, what is it that Deshaun Watson's upset about? And is that any reason for a potential team that's trading for him to look at him and think that he might be trouble for their locker room or something? And I, I don't think this, just to be clear, but it's something that like, you know, I think that like, for example, if Aaron Rodgers was doing this, would... I almost think that people would be all over Rodgers. Like there would be... a And I'm not even a big Rodgers fan in terms of like personally is he my favorite player no it, like personal wise I'm not really crazy about Rodgers but in fairness to him I think if he was doing this right now I think a lot of people would be um all over him maybe even including myself who knows but anyway so like just that's just something to think about I, like what is it that's so horrible about Houston like they traded the shot I mean uh, DeAndre Hopkins and they didn't hire the exact coach he told them to when he told them to it's like like that to me any player should never have a a say over like who they hire as an organization like as a gm and as a like that's just a little bit ridiculous you know it's like bro we love you but you're not the owner of the team you're the quarterback okay you're not the gm slash owner here like you don't tell us who to hire we maybe now I understand that the issue is also that they, I guess they told him that they were going to give him that kind of opportunity to basically chime in and, and give his two cents on who they should, um, you know, who they should hire or whatever. So for, if they, if they told him that and they didn't do it, well, shame on them. You know, that's totally, to me, that's reckless business. That's not fair. Right. But if they didn't tell him that, and he just wants that, he needs to just you know, I mean, I, I, to me, it's like, be quiet, bro. Like, I'm sorry. With all due respect, you're a great player. But if you're just mad that they traded Hop and now you're mad that they didn't consult with you about who they're hiring, like, with all due respect, you know, they don't have to. They didn't. The Packers didn't do that for Aaron Rodgers. And everybody made a huge deal about how Rodgers wasn't going to get along with the floor because, you know, the Packers didn't, you know, the same thing was made in, in that situation in Green Bay. And here we are two years later after two 13 and three seasons for the Packers and two NFC championship trips, Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers are doing a okay, you know? So like, 
if it's just that, I think that, that things can be overcome, right? Now, if they told him that they were going to, you know, ask him who they should hire and things like that, again, I'm on Deshaun's side there. But moving right along. Um, so that's something to think about. You know, I personally, just so you guys know where I stand on that, I'm not mad at Deshaun Watson. I, I think that um, I have a ton of respect for him. I don't think he's a distraction to a locker room. I do not think he's a, I think he's actually a great addition to a locker room in terms of character. I think he's a championship caliber character player. I think he's a good guy. And I think that he seems pretty easy to get along with. You know, he's never been an issue in the locker room in any way, shape or form. So uh, let me just squash that before you guys take what I'm saying too, too far. I think that, you know, if, I can think all that about Deshaun Watson. I can think that highly of Deshaun Watson, but I can also think that if he's just throwing a temper tantrum because he wants to say who he who they hire as the coach and, and GM, well, I can also think that that's ridiculous. You know what I mean? There's just no – it's not because I hate Deshaun Watson. It's because I'm just being fair and objective. So anyways, um, moving right along from that, I think that teams that make sense to trade for Deshaun Watson – I know that uh, I think it was Adam Schefter or maybe it was Ian Rapoport. Somebody like that came out and was saying that there's no team in a better position than the Jets to do so. Um, I'll challenge that and I'll say the Miami Dolphins are in the best position to do so, right? Not to, not that the Jets aren't, but the Miami Dolphins to me are in a very strong position to do so, right? Just one year ago, it was tank for Tua, right? Everybody and their mother had Tua. Tagovailoa rated as a better quarterback prospect than Justin Herbert coming out of the draft, and they and uh, some people even had him better than Joe Burrow, right? It was just clear. It was a foregone conclusion that Tua was the man in uh, in that quarterback class, even before that. You know, it was that time to look at those players in the draft. So, I mean, that going back to the year before, everybody was was really high on Tua. So, um, I understand that, and uh, you know, I think that if nothing else that can serve as, as a public negotiating piece for Miami. If they're like, look, let's just say this, right? For this example's sake, let's just say Houston's ownership is like, you know what? Um, maybe we should consider getting rid of Deshaun Watson, right? It's not, and if I were the ownership, if I, if I, if it was my call, absolutely not. Deshaun will come play for me or he will sit out and, you know, I'll, I'll keep my money. We're not trading him. That's my, that's well, most likely, right? I don't know the ins and outs, but like, let's say that's that's pretty much my what I would do, right? Now, if I had to trade him, I'm going to look at it like that. If I had to trade him, right? I'm looking right at the Miami Dolphins because I see that they have, I believe, the fifth overall, or no, the third overall pick in the draft, okay? So that could potentially be your long-term replacement for Deshaun Watson, or um, they also have a bunch of other draft picks, right? So let's just say... I didn't look up all of their draft picks, but let's just say this, right? If I had to trade them and I, and I called the Miami Dolphins and let's just, you know, say that I think that Tua is going to be Alex Smith or better, maybe a little bit better version of Alex Smith. I am kind of not hating that, right? Again, if I have to trade them. So I'll say, hey, Miami, give me Tua. Give me your uh, third overall pick. Give me also your second first round pick this year. Give me your first round pick next year and a second round pick next year. That's that's what I would take for Deshaun Watson. So it's that's a total of three first rounders, two a, and a two next year, right? And I think that's an outrageous asking price. But on the flip side of this equation, if I was negotiating with myself, right, I would do it. 
if I was the Dolphins, I would literally do this. Because if you think about this, guys, first round picks, sometimes they're Nikhil Harry, you know, and sometimes they are Jamal Adams or Patrick Mahomes, whatever. Like, so, but if you, let's just say Houston's going to take the approach of we're going to build around Tua, we're going to trade for Tua, and we're going to take the, take, take the approach that Tua is our guy, right? So that means we give away Watson and his gigantic salary and, and uh, you know, his greatness. We trade him away. We get Tua. We get the third overall pick. We get like the, I think the 20th or 25th overall pick, somewhere in there. We get, we get two ones this year. That gives me, as the Houston Texans GM, that gives me a potential quarterback of the future. That gives me a reason to buy fully into the fact that we are now rebuilding because we have the rookie quarterback contract now. We don't have the big, huge Deshaun Watson contract. We we actually have some draft capital now because, you know, even though we gave all of ours away, we got some back now. So we have two ones this year and, and two ones next year. I believe they have their own one next year. So I think they do uh, what they would in this scenario have two ones next year. So now it gives me an opportunity to build my team young and to move on from J.J. Watt, which is the unfortunately the likely scenario there. Let's move on from Watt. And uh, and let's see who we can draft. Now, with that third overall pick, I guess at that point in time, if you just traded Deshaun Watson for Tua, but you got a whole bunch of other stuff in there as well, including three ones, I think that you could go one of two directions there. You could say, hey, if we if we draft, um, I mean, if we think that Zach Wilson's a better quarterback than Tua right now, we'll go ahead and draft Zach Wilson because who gives a damn if Tua doesn't like it. We'll just make them compete it out. And, uh, you know, we'll see who we'll see what rises to the top there. Or you could then just take, you know, let's say Penny Sewell or whoever you think is the best offensive tackle or vice versa, whatever, the best players, you know. And um, I think that's that's a solid way uh, for the Texans to kind of go about building their team if they were to make this trade. Then other teams, I think, make sense. The New York Jets, for sure. I mean, in that case, it would be basically the same thing except for swap out Sam Darnold for um, Tua in there. And then in terms of the draft capital, I don't think they have as much, but it would basically be three, four ones. I'm not going to get too crazy detailed into it, but I want a shitload of first round picks, like at least three and some seconds and Sam Darnold. And, I, you know, that's that's it. So um, and then for an, another team that that makes a lot of sense. And it's not just because I'm a Panthers fan, but the Carolina Panthers, as we've heard, I think Ian Rappaport or somebody like that came out and said that don't rule them out. For me, they almost make the most sense, not from a, but they don't make the most sense in terms of like the fact that they'd be able to give up the most, but they do make the most sense in terms of they'd be able to give the most proven quarterback of this bunch, right? Teddy Bridgewater is a guy that, is paid relatively mildly for a legit starting quarterback. And I think that if nothing else right now, we have to look at Teddy and say, he's a low end starter. You know, he's a guy that he's not a phenomenal football player. He's not a great player, but he's a low end starter. He's or, you know, a high end backup in his best case scenario type of thing. Like what he was in new Orleans. He's a very, very high end backup quarterback, but I mean, he's good enough to start for most, I mean, not for most teams, but like for any team, if they don't have a better option, right? Like he's not a guy that you're just miserable with. If you have some weapons, Teddy's a, he's a decent option at quarterback. So um, giving Teddy and then 
three or four ones and some twos. I mean, honestly, if I'm Dave Tepper right now in the Carolina Panthers, with the draft they had last year, I think that that draft could potentially look something similar to what the New Orleans Saints draft looks like now, where they landed Alvin Kamara, Ryan Ramchick, um, all those Alex Anzalone, all those guys I, I don't even want to get into, but all those guys, Marshawn Lattimore, that they landed. This Panthers draft this year could be something similar to that with Jeremy Chin, Troy Pride, uh, Derek Brown, you know, all those guys that they drafted, Bravion Roy. It could potentially look like that. So what I'm getting at is you get Teddy off the books, you put Watson on the books, right? Now you have a ton of weapons and a pretty damn decent pass-blocking offensive line with a defense that – you just spent an entire draft on, and it looks like you might have knocked it out of the park in terms of hitting. And uh, so it's not like the financial increase from Teddy to Deshaun Watson would be so severe that it would cripple you forever. The only thing that you'd be crippled in, and at least in the short term on, is draft picks, high-end draft picks right now. But with what we've seen with our ability to draft, and granted, that was before um, – you know, that was before uh, that was with Marty Herney there. But if we look at the Seattle GM and his like emphasis on day three guys, basically in the draft, if we look at that. And then we look at the fact that that's all they would have for a couple of years. Maybe you can draft a few starters on day two or three, day, late day two, day three or whatever. And then you have Deshaun Watson with uh, DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. I know that Curtis Samuel will probably have to walk. They probably don't have the money to sign him, especially if they especially if they use up the their additional cap space for Deshaun Watson. But the Carolina Panthers are a place that Watson would come in and, I mean, potentially succeed easier than at any other place he could, or he could get traded to, at least out of the Jets, Dolphins, and Panthers. Like, that's a, that's a good fit there um, in Carolina. Some other teams that I think, you know, would, would I don't want to say make sense, but they'd make sense just on a very um, long shot kind of way would be the, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, I mean, Ben Roethlisberger, let's face it, is is maybe one year left, but he's probably gone, you know, or I mean, after that, he's probably gone. And the Jacksonville Jaguars, which they're a divisional opponent, so it's very unlikely that Houston would be willing to trade to them. But they're a team that, you know, maybe, I mean, they do have the number one overall pick. So if the, if the Texans ownership is absolutely in love with um, Trevor Lawrence or whoever they perceive as the top quarterback, that's not a bad uh, that's not a bad gig there. And then the New Orleans Saints. Drew Brees is gone. Uh, they they don't have Jameis Winston under contract next year. And Taysom Hill, he may be best suited for that utility type of role. Who knows? So, like, maybe the Saints there. And then a couple of crazy scenarios would be, and you guys tell me what you think about this in the um, – you can leave a review and I'll respond to you or just DM me at FairShakeFootball on Instagram, at FairShakeFB on Twitter. What about if you – are the GM of the Baltimore Ravens right now, Eric DaCosta. That's you. Would you trade Lamar Jackson for Deshaun Watson? I mean, like, so let's just for this example, let's just say you could do it straight up. I, If I'm the Ravens, I'd definitely do that, right? And the reason why I think that you'd have to consider it if you're Houston is simply because you, it might be your best option right like it, it might be your best option at least in terms of like being able to immediately win right now and where there's as little drop off in year one as possible that would be with Lamar Jackson um 
I don't think that it, I think that it would definitely, if I was Houston, I mean, I'm sorry, if I were, um, yes, if I was Houston, I would want picks as well. So let's just say Lamar Jackson and a first rounder and a third rounder the following year for Deshaun Watson. That I believe is the most fair deal there, there could be. And if you're Baltimore, you're saying, look, We've already gotten three good years out of Lamar, right? Or, you know, first year was decent, but you get the point. We've already gotten three seasons out of Lamar. One of them was an MVP season. What if we come to the realization that, hey, that's about as much as, you know, it, it's only going to go down from here, right? I don't, I'm not saying that I necessarily believe this, but I'm just saying if you're, if you're Baltimore, you say, look, why don't we just give him away for for Deshaun Watson? And we think that he will take our team to the next level, and we think that we'll be just fine without a first and third round of the next year. So um, I, I think that's a fair trade, to be honest with you. I think it's a fair trade, and I think that it's one that really both parties would do, assuming Houston, quote-unquote, has to trade Deshaun Watson. I think Baltimore would do that too. It's just the only thing with something like that that you worry about is the fact that, number one, Houston's already paid Deshaun Watson a $27 million signing bonus. So they're going to have to pay Lamar Jackson another one. So that sucks for them. Uh, I think they have the cash though. So that's on the bright side for him. But, um, and remember cash and cap space are two different things. But I think that when you look at from Baltimore side, it's not like they, you know, have this huge contract that they're eating a bunch of dead money with in terms of what Lamar has, like what they've paid Lamar. Um, so, they're about to have to resign Lamar. So what if they could potentially get Deshaun Watson at a little bit lesser of a financial price than Lamar simply because his deal will be a year older at that point? You know, that's that's uh, those are all real reasons for Baltimore to like that. So the only thing that you really have to worry about again is is the um, what that would the message that would send to your locker room and if the, if it would really you know bother the players there like damn. Lamar was our leader and you just shipped him out of town uh, at the first chance of a potential upgrade, you know, without like, you know, without really um, taking into consideration how we would feel about that. So, you know, that it would just kind of come down to the GM and the coaching staff what they would know more so how that would have, how that would impact their locker room and even their fan base because Lamar is beloved in Baltimore amongst the Ravens fans. So, you know, that would be another thing to consider. But I think ultimately it's tough to, to convince anyone really that that would be, um, you know, a negative thing in terms of on-field impact and compensation given up. So that's that's not a bad thing, especially, like I said, we can't just forget that Houston paid a $27 million signing bonus to Deshaun Watson. The Ravens would get this guy without necessarily having to do that right now. What they would probably do is immediately throw him a $20 million signing bonus and basically just alleviate that from their cap in terms of a prorated amount per season remaining on his contract. So that's a benefit to them. And if they have the cash, they would definitely do it. They prefer to do it. And, and if you make a trade like that, obviously you, you have no problem betting on the future of Deshaun Watson. So that, that um, definitely would, uh, that makes Deshaun Watson even more enticing to trade for because he's under contract and Houston paid the signing bonus. So um, another team that would be a crazy scenario is the Dallas Cowboys. Like what if they traded Dak Prescott for Lamar Jackson, you know, and, and basically it would be a similar deal to Lamar and Houston in this case would immediately have to, to pay Dak. He, they wouldn't have the luxury of playing out the rest of his contract. They'd have to really, they'd have to pay him obviously right away or, or at least 
after this after this upcoming season. So, you know, that's uh, to me another interesting scenario. And if you're Dallas, again, same argument for Dallas that it was for Baltimore. Do you think he's better than Dak now? Do you think that Dak will want more money than Deshaun Watson currently has under his current contract? And, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Is it worth giving up the compensation for? So, again, something that can just, you know, just really just plan around here. I'm not, not being ultra serious. But if you're these teams, I don't see why you wouldn't at least inquire about it. Okay, now let's move on to the legendary career that is Drew Brees. And, uh, look, man, Drew is one of the greatest quarterbacks I've ever watched play. Probably for me personally, that I can actually remember being able to kind of really watch and and appreciate. He's definitely, well, easily top five, probably more like top three or four, really. So, um, you know, he's he's been just a model of consistency, especially over the last decade or so of his career. And um, obviously he began began his career in the NFL with the um, San Diego Chargers, at that time, they were they were still San Diego, and um, came to New Orleans in like what year five or six? One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, year six. He was traded to the Saints. I mean, no, he was signed by the Saints in free agency, and you know, kind of uh, from there, it was just him and Sean Payton, and, and the rest is really history. But I want to go into this because this is kind of what I'm going to touch on with Tom Brady when I talk about him in a second as well. Drew, because he came into the league in 2001, was basically. There were he was able to adapt and, and evolve his game um, kind of with the times. And statistically speaking, his game got better with, you know, when when the when the um, kind of changes were made to the rules and things like that, that really kind of helped the evolution of the game in terms of more of a pass happy um, offenses and things like that. Because, um, look, for Drew's first one, two, three, four, five, six years, he, he didn't attempt more than 554 passes, you know, and then over the lat over the back half of it, it was a lot of 650, 635, 658, 657, 670, 650, 659. I mean, a lot of, you know, mid 600 passes uh, per season was basically what, what he was living on with Sean Payton. But over the first, let me see here over the, so first of all, Drew has had just six losing seasons of his 19 years as a primary starter. He's a Super Bowl champion. He's got tons of passing records. You guys have heard that stuff, you know, nonstop, I'm sure, uh, especially how him and Tom Brady are going back and forth on a lot of those. And Brady will have them by the end of next year when he retires or when he, you know, who knows, gets resigned in Tampa. But the adaptation of his game. So the first seven seasons of Drew's career, his completion percentage were 60.8%, 57.6%. And these are the first seven seasons where he was the actual starter. Um, yeah, so 60.8%, 57.6%. Six, so Drew Brees completed 57.6% of his passes through 11 games in his third season. He threw 11 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. Could you imagine if a guy, a quarterback in 2020, had a season like that? They He'd be out of the league. You know, Drew Brees at his height and size and, you know, the, the already questions that they everybody already had about him to have a season like that in his third year would literally it, today would be out of the league. Like, I mean, damn near. Right. Sam Darnold is, is looked at as a guy that's basically a bust already. And he has had the worst supporting cast amongst the worst, at least in football, since becoming the starter for the Jets. And um, anyways, so let me get back to where was I? OK, so. 
Third year, 65.5% completion percentage. Fourth year as a starter, 646 uh, 64.3, 67.5, 65.0. So basically, the evolution happened quickly in terms of it was rough, right? After his first two seasons, he was completing 59.5% of his passes for 6.1 yards per pass attempt, 28 touchdown passes to 31 interceptions. So it was rough, right? It was not pretty in the beginning. And uh, he made a clear leap in years three and four with San Diego Chargers, where he completed in those years three and four as a starter, I'm saying. But he completed over those two years, 65% of his passes for seven and a half yards per pass attempt, 51 touchdowns, 22 interceptions. So uh, a lot more touchdowns and then less interceptions. And then New Orleans began. In his first year in New Orleans, he comes into town. They sign him as a free agent. He goes 10 and 6, um, throws for 4,418 yards, 26 touchdowns, 11 picks, 8 yards in attempt. And uh, yeah, we're off to the races. New Orleans is a playoff team immediately. And then, you know, from there, it was a little bit inconsistent, you know, 7 9 season and 8 and 8 season. And then he went 13 and 2, 11 and 5, 13 and 3. Um, over those next three years there and of course won the damn championship for them so um, obviously when he won the championship for those saints i mean you can go through new orleans right now drew Brees is an absolute legend for you know to pretty much every saints fan as he should be and over his last talk about again back to the adaptation and evolution of his game his last five seasons he completed over 70% of his passes in each season, 70.0, 72.0, 74.4, 74.3, and 70.5 for this season. And then the previous seasons before that, the previous three seasons, it was 68.6, 69.2, and 68.3. So the dude was basically a 70% completion guy for the last eight years of his career. You know, and that's kind of when the I believe that the, there were even more, you know, this uh, – these rule changes really helped the quarterbacks and just really the offenses in general. So, uh, you know, you can't touch a receiver anymore. Now the receiver's wide open. It's, it's a much easier game in, in terms of being able to pass the football from that standpoint. And uh, the kind of the most interesting part of Drew's game was he threw double digit interceptions in almost every season for the first like large, large part of his career. I mean, the over the first 16 years of his career over the final four years, he threw eight interceptions, five, four, and six. So he really limited the uh, the amount of interceptions he threw in that time. I mean, he had he had seasons in New Orleans where he threw 22 picks, 19 picks, 17 picks, 18 picks, 17 picks, 11, 12, uh, 15. So that was pretty wild um, in and of its own. But amongst all that, I think when it's all said and done, we just look at the body of work that is that was Drew Brees. Uh, I'm assuming he retires when I say was. Um, he was one of the most consistent players in the NFL that I've ever watched, you know, in, in just my time of being able to watch football as a 33-year-old man. So um, I think now in terms of where does Drew Brees rank all time, uh, you know, look, that's a tough one because I would have loved to see people make a lot of like the whole what would Brady have looked like without Belichick. Well, we're seeing Brady in the NFC Championship game right now. So that's that's pretty good, right? And we're seeing him through 40 touchdown passes, etc. Drew Brees without Sean Payton is something I would have absolutely loved to see as well. But um, look, all we can all we can assume is that he would have been the same guy because that's the only thing that's the only thing that's fair enough to assume. So um, Drew, 
to me is is at worst a top 15 quarterback of all time and you know i think that no one's really going to argue with you if you say top seven to top 10 i think that's that's fair and um you know i mean if you want to get into higher than that top five or whatever that's that's a lot more difficult of a, of a claim to make but look with the way this guy was as a as a leader and as just a model of consistency from from every standpoint, not just his on the field play, but you know the way he was able to command the locker room and, and lead and, and be a, a good person in the in the uh, community there, and do just do a lot of good things. Drew was awesome, and he was a you know just a, a pillar of the New Orleans Saints uh, football society there. So. Um, all respect to Drew, and even as a Panther fan, where of course I had to watch my team lose to this guy far too often. Um, I think nothing but uh, good things about Drew Brees is really all I have to say. So he's one of the greatest players I've ever watched, probably top five. And um, for me personally, I'd say his floor, the worst he'll go down as, at least in terms of my opinion, is top fifteen player in NFL history. So great player. And uh, he's one of those guys that just like Tom Brady, they didn't enter the league with this like significant physical advantage over their opposition, right? They were not like guys that, you know, like you don't look at him and say, wow, like look at all, like he's not Mahomes, right? He's not Josh Allen. He, he's, he is a guy that was, you know, limited in many capacities in terms of just being able to do certain things in size and, you know, and stuff like that. So I think from that standpoint, he deserves even more credit. Now, why do I think Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time? Okay, the reason in a nutshell that I think Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time is because of I think he's the greatest situational football player of all time. I think that he's a chameleon. He adapts to his what he's needed to do. He 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 senses what he's needed to do in any specific game and what his role is in terms of what the coach's game plan is. And he executes that role to the absolute best of his ability. And he does it with now we've seen over two decades of consistency. This guy, as I just said about Drew Brees, is not somebody that came into the league with any expectations around him. He was a day three pick, 199th overall. He was somebody that no one expected to be a starting quarterback. Because even at, even in 2000 or 1999, whenever his draft was, you don't draft the guy 199th overall with the expectation that you're going to start him, right? <laughs> and of course, in his first season, he didn't start. But his second season, which was back in 2001 at age 24, that's when the legendary, you know, the iconic Drew Bledsoe goes down, Tom Brady comes in. Um, in, that, in that season, he started, what was it, 14 games, finished 11 and 3. Um, 64% completion, 2,800 yards, 18 touchdowns, 12 picks, you know, nothing spectacular, but he did then what he's been doing for the last 20 years or so. And he made certain plays in certain moments where you just thought like, you know, this guy's a winner, right? And that's kind of, you know, no, I remember that for the first several years of his career, I never thought of him as much like, I'm like, yeah, he's all right. You know, he's. He's, he's okay. No big deal. You know, and then it's just kind of like slowly but surely, like, look, I mean, look at his stat lines. So 18 touchdowns, 12 picks his first year as a starter, 
28 touchdowns to 14 picks his second year, 23 touchdowns to 12, third year, uh, 28 touchdowns to 14 picks. Again, you know, so he was kind of 26 touchdowns, 14, 24, and 12. And then all of a sudden, they get Randy Moss, Wes Welker, that crazy lineup, and he becomes Tom F. and Brady, right? 50 touchdowns to eight interceptions, okay? But what you saw for the first, what was that? One, two, three, four, five, six. His first six years as a starter, you saw like just a good player, you know, and a guy that made big plays in clutch moments. No one can deny that. And uh, we didn't really notice what was happening, but what was brewing up at that point in time was greatness and, and greatness in the form of someone that just constantly makes the winning play. Someone that understands that they are not at a physical advantage over their opponents. They are not more gifted than them. They are, in fact, less gifted than them from a physical standpoint. So how do you, that guy, the guy that's not nearly as gifted as anybody else, right? Or not not anybody else, but uh, as the elite players, how do you become great? You become the most consistently you, you, you become the most consistent player in terms of decision-making, in terms of doing your 111th, in terms of, uh, you know, making the – avoiding the critical mistake, and in the times where you have to make the big play, you make the big play. So when you look at this also, guys, just like with Drew Brees, you can look at all that stuff, right, all those mediocre two-to-one touchdown-interception ratios over the first six, seven years of his career. You can look all that and see it as a fault, but it was also – a different time, right? We see Drew Brees throwing 22 interceptions in seasons back then. Brady was nowhere near that. You know, it was just what he was asked to do and and the way that the rules were designed and the supporting cast that he had to work with oftentimes were were not really going to be in the in the style of offense and the way they played football. We're not really going to be like, you know, 50 touchdowns, eight interceptions every year. They weren't that way. You know, Patrick Mahomes is going to absolutely dismantle every single passing record Tom Brady has barring health, right? As long as he stays healthy, which is no, you know, no given in today's game. I mean, even in any game in this game, the football is violent. So my point is Tom Brady, you'd have to error adjust his, his games, right? And you'd have to really go back and watch each and every game to really understand what he's doing right this guy can't he can't escape the pocket and run Patrick Mahomes can escape the pocket and run whenever he damn well pleases whenever he wants essentially right and he kills teams that way what if he couldn't do that ever that's that's Tom Brady that's Tom Brady he can't do that and he's been able to consistently for over two decades now to beat essentially everyone you put in front of them. No matter how good they are, no matter the situation, no matter the score, down 28-3, I got it. You know, like, dude, this guy does what is needed of him. That's the best way to say it, and it's you really have to think about it, like, objectively to appreciate it. He did whatever was needed of him every single snap, every single game for longer than I've ever seen anyone do it in terms of, and still do it at a high level. Like look at Drew Brees the the other day. He was a shell of himself all season long. He's been a shell of himself. Tom Brady threw 40 touchdowns this year. What is that? Second most he's ever thrown ever. 
He's 40 fucking three years old. Like, you can tell me about his weapons, dude. You can tell me about his weapons, but those same people that are telling me about his weapons last year told me that he couldn't throw the ball anymore. I mean, think about that. Why? What, what happened? These weapons all of a sudden made him be able to throw the ball 70 yards down the field again? I honestly think that right now his arm is stronger than it has ever been. It looks, the ball looks different when he throws it deep. It looks like it has more juice on it. That's just my honest opinion. It really looks that way to me. So the reason, in a nutshell, why I think Tom Brady is the greatest football player I've ever watched and and potentially ever to play. I, I can't speak on, you know, uh, like, is he the greatest quarterback ever? Because obviously I was, um, you know, as a 33-year-old man, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I, I need to go back and really dig into some film with some old-timers. Maybe they're better. But I know this much. I can't show you that Tom Brady is the greatest by stats. I can't do it. And you, if you're going to go that angle and 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 try and – I think that's – personally, I feel that that is um, – deliberately misleading to, to compare stats because the guy's been playing for multiple deck. I mean, uh, multiple like generations now, essentially like where in terms of, at least in terms of how the foot, how the game of football has been played, how the quarterback position has been played. Like if you wanted to really go that route, I could go tell you that Troy Aikman and John Elway don't even deserve to be in hall of fame. If you just want to talk about completion percentage and stats, you know what I mean? It's the, the dude has been playing for far too long for you to make general arguments based on a statistic, primarily based on a statistical formula. It's not, it's not fair. It's disingenuous. So when I look at Tom Brady, I have to look at it from the most pure standpoint. You could ever look at something and judge it in terms of football. Right. And that is whatever he's been needed to do and whatever the coaches have told him to do on a play to play basis, he has done with consistency at an elite level for literally over 20 years. And he's still doing it at age 43. And if he wins one more game, he will become the very first quarterback and the very first team to ever play the Super Bowl in his home stadium. And he'll do it in his very first year in a brand new system in a COVID fucking 19 offseason. Because he's the goddamn goat. Peace.